turn it to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, and if you're brand new to your Bible, then uh, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. So start at the front, Genesis, and work your way forward five books, and you'll get um, to Deuteronomy. And I want to look at uh, an Old Testament journey this morning that I hope is going to speak into our 21st century lives. And I just want to um, preach a simple message, just lay a foundation, and I'm uh, believing for the Holy Spirit just to point out areas in our lives where we need to see change today. Now let me just set the scene of Deuteronomy um, chapter 1. Moses is in a moment where he's getting ready to speak to the Israelites, the Old Testament church, as they step into the promised land. They're on the edge of a promised land. They're about to step into that promised land. But as we're going to see, they'd spent a lot of time before this wandering in the wilderness. And I wanted to speak this message this morning because it strikes me that actually a lot of followers of Jesus today spend far too much of their life wandering around in the wilderness, living in no man's land, kind of in this in-between bit. What I mean by that is that so many believers have been set free from their old life, as we were talking about a moment ago, but they haven't actually taken hold of everything that God has for them and the word says is available to them. So, for example, they've been saved, but they're not experiencing true joy. They've been rescued from sin, but they don't actually understand what it is to live in peace. They're now part of the kingdom of God, but they're still chained to old habits and ways of living and so on and so on and so on. They're, they're almost in this in-between bit where they've got their salvation, but they haven't actually taken hold of everything that God has for them. They're in this wandering in the wilderness, middle, no man's land bit, when the reality is the Bible makes it clear to us that there is so much more than just salvation. There is so much that God has available for us. I read in Ephesians chapter 1 that you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's good news, right, this morning? Is that good news? We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You may be here on the earth, but we're seated in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 3 says we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Ephesians 4 says that I'm part of the body of Christ on this earth today, on the hands and the feet of Jesus. Ephesians 5 says that I've been taken out of darkness and now I'm a child of the light. Ephesians chapter 6 tells me that God has given me spiritual armor that I can live an overcoming and victorious life. And that's just the book of Ephesians, right? That's why we say read your Bible. It will cheer you up, guaranteed. But when you read the Bible, you understand all that is available to you. That's just one letter. God is a God of promise. Do we believe that this morning? God is a God of increase. God is a God of abundance. God is a God of undiluted joy, of incomparable peace. He takes the vilest sinner and he makes him the purest saint. This is who our God is. He restores the most broken individual. He's able to reunite the most separated of families. No matter how broken your family may be today, God is able to restore it. He is the God of the miraculous. Yet what I've come to learn through my own life, through my own mistakes and through pastoring people over 15 years now is that our journey from God taking us out of stuff and God taking us into stuff and into his promise and into his fullness and everything that the Bible says is available to us can often be delayed by how we are on the journey. 
So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 1 here of the Israelites. They're about to step into God's promise for them, the abundance, a better day. And we're going to read from verse 2. Deuteronomy 1 verse 2 says, Normally it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which is on the edge of a promised land, going by the way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord has commanded them, him to say. Hang, hang on a minute. 11 days has turned into 40 years. 11 days to over 14,600. I googled it. I'm not that clever. 14,600 days to go from one destination to another in God. I mean, what is going on in this moment? It's not like they had lots of traffic in the wilderness in those times, right? It's, I don't know whether Moses has typed in the sat-nav postcode wrong or whether someone's holding the map upside down. I don't know what's going on, but no matter how bad... Okay, who would be honest enough to say they're pretty bad at directions in this place? Okay, there's some honest people, right? Even you could have got the Israelites of a promised land, I reckon, before 40 years. No matter how bad you are, surely an 11-day journey should not take 40 years. But of course, if you know the account, you know that there's a little bit more to it. And there's two big reasons why this has happened. So I want to pause and just lay a foundation, then we're going to see how this applies to us. And to really understand it, we need to go back to the beginning of the book of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses and he says, here's the mandate for your life, Moses. I want to use your life to rescue a whole nation out of slavery. But also you're going to bring them into something as well. Exodus 3, verse 7 to 8. Let's just set the scene. God says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt, take hold of that word, out of Egypt, into their own fertile and spacious land. So two words or two phrases there, out of and into. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites now live. So God says, Moses, I am going to use you to take a people out of slavery and captivity. But it doesn't stop there. I'm going to also use you and empower you to take this nation of Israel into the promise that I have for them. And over the next few chapters, over the next few books, it highlights that journey. And we see God just do amazing thing after amazing thing in that journey. And we come to a place in Numbers chapter 13. This is the first time that they're on the edge of entering into God's promise for them. And before this has happened, they've been miraculously rescued out of Egypt. There's the ten plagues and the Passover lamb and all that kind of stuff. And they come to the Red Sea and there's that moment where the Egyptians have changed their mind and Pharaoh sends out the chariots and, and the army and the whole nation of Israel. Remember, it wasn't like five people. It's the whole nation of Israel in this moment are being chased down and all they can see before them is the ocean. And God parts the ocean and this whole nation and, and, and different generations walk through the ocean to the other side. And then by the time the Egyptians come, God has made it that the enemies would drown in the midst of that. Now, we can gloss over that. We can do two things. We can make it a fairy tale or we can gloss over it. But I don't know the last time that happened to you. 
You tell me, when was the last time you were going down South Sea Seafront and the Solent parted in two and you walked on foot to the Isle of Wight? Please tell me if that has ever happened to you. And yet these guys were glossing over what God had done for them. You read on, God gives them the holy law. But he writes on tablets of stone with his very finger. The tabernacle system is set up. The, the Levites become priests. Offerings begin. Loads of great stuff going on. But there's also a lot of ugly moments. That even though Israel have seen and witnessed God do so much, they are continually moaning about God and to God. Anytime they got a little bit hungry, like, like spoiled children, anytime they were slightly hungry, anytime they were slightly thirsty, they would complain about God. They accused God of forsaking them. They even said, oh, we actually think we would be better off in Egypt, in the land of slavery, than we are right now. Then there's a moment that's recorded where Moses is up on the mountain and getting the instruction of the law of God, and they begin to win. He's taking too long. Oh, how long do we have to wait? Here's an idea. Let's melt down all our jewelry and make an image of make a golden calf and we'll worship that instead of a God that's rescued us out of Egypt. How dumb can you get? Yet God continued to be loving. God continued to be patient. God continued to endure in the midst of this. And so here we are, the first time on the edge of a promised land in Numbers chapter 13. And even to this point, it's taken 18 months. So already an 11-day journey has already become 18 months. Why? I believe because God was doing something on the journey. See, God didn't just want to take them out of slavery and captivity in the world they'd been in and instantly take them into the promise. I believe God was doing something on the journey. See, here's the reality. God, when you're walking with God, when you go from one season in God to another season, when you go to, from one stage of your life to another, when you step into what God has for you next, do you know what we, as we've often said before, want instant arrivals? Are we there yet, God? Are we at the bit where I receive your blessing? Are we? But God is more interested, as we've said before, in the journey. God is doing something on the journey between bringing you out of a season and taking you into a season. As Pastor Andy often references, it's a corridor of faith where God is taking you out of something and into something. And he's more interested in what's happening in you than actually the final destination. So here we are with the Israelites. Numbers chapter 13 and Again, you probably know the account. If you don't, I'd encourage you to read it at some point, Numbers chapter 13. They send in 12 spies. Now, these spies are just sent in just to spy out the land that God has given to them. It's a done deal. They're not trying to negotiate. They're not trying to... They just are spying out the promise that God has given to them. Two, Joshua and Caleb come back and say, yeah, we can do this. This is great. You should see what it's like. You should, you should see the size of the grapes. I mean, read it at some point. You should read the size of a grape. You should see this. You should see all that God's done for us. And then 10 spies come back. Now, isn't this interesting that because of 10 people who spoke doom and gloom, a whole nation were in fear. Strikes me that thousands of years on, with the advent of 24-7 news, our generation has become very good at listening to the opinion of a few and surrounding ourselves with a spirit of fear. So here's these 10 people. They've seen God do so much. They've seen God be so faithful. They should have, like Brenda said, just been still, shut up and known that God is God and he's going to do what he's called them to do. But they didn't. 
a coward in fear. Listen to this, Numbers 14, 1 to 2. Just because 10 people out of millions were saying, oh, I don't think we can do this. I think it's far too difficult. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron because we always turn on leadership in these moments. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. And God responds, it's enough now. Numbers 14 verse 11, he says, The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? Verse 22, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude. We looked at that last winter, you might remember, different spirit. Caleb has a different spirit than the others. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go towards the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. In other words, don't go towards what I had for you. Don't go towards the promise, but turn around because tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. You must go back to where you came from and not actually inherit what I had promised to you. And so having been so close, a whole generation missed out. And 40 years later, after that whole generation had died off, then the Israelites are on the edge. Here we are, full circle, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, about to possess the land that God had given to them. Now, you may say, okay, well, that, that was all well and good. That's a nice history lesson. That's a nice account. What on earth has that got to do with me in the year 2022? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth thousands of years later in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. He said, these things happened to them as examples for us. Talking about the Israelites. He said, these things, the things that we've just been looking at and other things as well, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So Paul says, we've got to learn from the mistakes of previous generations. Paul says, this has been conserved in, in history and, and, and in the pages of God's word so that that can be a teaching tool that in 2022, we wouldn't make the same mistakes thousands of years on. Because the truth remains, God has a promise for you. Now, God isn't necessarily giving you a promised land, an actual land that you put your feet on, but there is so much spiritually that God has available for you. We just looked at some of it in the beginning when we looked at the book of Ephesians, but read the whole of the New Testament. There is so much available as a born-again believer, and the enemy will try and restrict you. Just remain here. Just remain here. You don't need to go any further, but there is so much available for you as a child of God. God remains a God of promise. God remains a God of increase. You need to hear this in a time when there's so much fear being spoken. God remains a God who can take you to a better place in your life than you're currently at, where you experience the fullness of all that he has available for you. And that doesn't mean that life will be easy. That doesn't mean that life will be without trial. But God has greatness and blessings awaiting you. Amen? See, the problem is, 
that God not only took the nation out of Egypt, he had a plan for them that they missed out on. Listen, God not only has rescued you from slavery in your sin, from condemnation through the person of Jesus Christ, he wants to take you into all that he has for you. Where you are not only just free and forgiven, but you are ruling and reigning in life. Where you are not only walked away from condemnation, but you understand who you are in him and you live in the purpose and the power of God. Yeah, as I said, the sad truth is that for many Christians, they're in the middle. They've been set free. They've received forgiveness and all of that at the beginning, but they haven't entered the fullness of all that God has for them. They are wandering around in the wilderness. Here's my simple challenge to you today. Don't let that be you. Let's not let that be us as a church community either. See, maybe you look around and you see other people and it seems that they have it all together. I know none of you ever do this, but many people play the comparison game where you look at others and you see that their marriage is strong and they're emotionally healthy and they're secure in their identity in Christ and they seem to understand God's purpose and power for their life. They seem to be ruling over things that used to rule them and you, you're just wondering. You're just aimlessly living this Christian life, Monday to Sunday, just going through the motions. You get a pick-me-up on a Sunday, but then Wednesday, the same trials are bringing you down, and you just feel like you're treading water. You just feel like you're going through the motions. And we all know that there are a few things worse than wasting time. Because ultimately, when we waste time, we waste our life that God has given to us. So here's a question that I want to pose to you. Because I reckon for most of us, we probably know what's causing our delay. We're just not doing anything about it. So here's my question to you. What is causing your wilderness wandering? And what are you going to do about it? Because God's done everything that he needs to do. So often we're saying, God, why won't you? No, no, no. God's done everything that he needs to do. What is causing our, our wilderness wandering and what are we going to do about it? See, for the Israelites, it was disobedience. It was unbelief. For us... It can be a number of things. I think one of those things that it can be is this thing called procrastination. Because too many people live, and I've spoken on this at length before, too many people live in this fantasy made up world that we think exists, this land out there that's only in our mind called one day when. One day when. One day when I'm less busy. This is the kind of stuff we say. One less day when I'm ready. One day when I'm good enough, whatever that means, then I'll step into everything God has for me. One day I'll take that step of faith. One day I'll do that thing that I know God is calling me or asking me to do. One day I'll get some help for this addiction. One day I'll open up to others. One day I'll connect with God. I'll connect with other people. So we see what the promised land could look like. We've spied it out. God's given us glimpses of it but because of our procrastination we're still wandering in the wilderness Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 in the living bible says this if you wait for perfect conditions you will never get anything done for some of you that's all you needed to come to church for (laughs) and the worship was a bonus and there's time in the word and the tea and coffee will be brilliant afterwards but this is all you needed to come to church for If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything 
done. Today, I believe God is calling an end to procrastination. So let me ask you, there may be many things that you're delaying, but what's top of the list? What's that one thing you're delaying and what is the excuse that you're giving? Because if you don't do anything about it, do you know what? 2022 will turn into 2023 and so on and so on. You can work out the rest and you'll keep saying, I'm going to run my best lap yet this year and, and, and 2028. Yeah, no, no this, I meant this year. I'm going to run my best lap yet. And you'll just keep wandering in the wilderness, spying out the promise of God, but never truly inheriting it. Now, listen, you're saved, you're free, all of that stuff, but you've not truly inherited all that God has for you. Now, for some of you, and I'm not aiming this at anyone, I'm just saying this as we're in this season, that may be about baptism. That for some people, as we've talked about getting baptized and that step and how we're going to celebrate with people, it may be that you know it's something God's calling you to do, but for whatever reason, you're reluctant. Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's because of, of pride, whatever it might be. And you say, oh, it's for everyone else, but it's not for me. And I want to encourage you, what is that one thing that you're delaying and what is the reason or the excuse that you're giving? Now, for others, it may not so much be procrastination, but it's this issue of sin. Let's remind ourselves, just in case you've forgotten, what Hebrews 12 verse 1 says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. You know these words by now. The race marked out for us. Now, we've looked at this a lot this year, so I won't dwell on this too much, but this is the truth that you'll never be able to walk into the promise of God for your life if you're hampered by sin that is holding you back. If you're in this place where you're entangled in this sin that keeps tripping you up over and over again, you can't move forward if you're continually chained. Chained to jealousy, chained to lust, chained to gossip, chained to fear, chained to lies. Listen, God's forgiveness and God's power can break that chain this morning. Do we believe that? Do you know, we can't be a church that just sing there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain and then not actually live in the reality of it. Otherwise, all we're doing is singing a catchy song. We've got to live in the reality that every chain that's on my life can be broken in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And I can run with boldness this race that God has called me to run. Now that may mean but you need to seek counsel. It may mean that you need to invite help into your life. It may mean that you need to make changes. It may mean that you die to self. But if you don't do something, you will keep wandering and missing out on all that God has for you. For other people, it's the past. That you can't step into the promise of God for your life because you're continually looking backwards. You've got your head facing this way when you should actually be stepping into all God has for you. You're looking back like the people of Israel, back to your slavery, back to your pain, back to the pain that somebody caused you, back to the pain that maybe you caused yourself. And as I said, if you're continually looking back, you can't step forward. For others, you're looking back and the title is regret. You look back at the things that you could have done the things that you feel you should have done, the mistakes that you made. You look back and you're constantly looking back in regret. And what I'm not saying is those things don't matter, but what I'm saying is if you're constantly looking back, you can't step forward into all that God has for you. You won't inherit the promise of God for your life if you're continually looking backwards. Now for others of you, you say, well, well hang on, what the stuff I'm looking back at, it's good. 
It's not bad. It's not evil. It's not regret land. It's not all this kind of stuff. It's positive stuff. It's, there were some brilliant times back there. God really moved in my life back then. Those were the good old days. Well, guess what? The Bible's got something to say to that camp of people as well. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. I mean, it couldn't be more blunt than that, could it? If you ever find yourself saying, as I do, oh, those were the good old days. The Bible says don't do that because you're a fool. That's not me. That's the Bible, okay? So don't take offense at me. That's what the Bible says. If we're continually looking back, going, those were good days. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, we should give glory to God for what he's done in the past. But we're not to camp there. We're to step into the fullness of all that God has for us today, right now, and the next day of all that God has for us. Don't long for the good old days. That is not wise. For others, it may be unbelief. You're just not sure that God is that good. He's good for others, but you're not sure that God is that able that he could take, as you see it, such a broken, messed up individual and do something with your life. For many, they don't believe that God could ever use them because they feel that they're disqualified or unqualified in so many different ways. So you see others living their promised lives, living in fullness, living in all the potential that God has for them, living for a cause, but not you. You're just wandering in the wilderness. See, God had done so much for the Israelites. God had brought them out of Egypt. He'd parted the sea. He guided them by, by cloud in the day and fire at night. He supernaturally fed them. He provided manna that had never existed for them to eat. He, he gave them drink when they were thirsty. He did so much. And yet, they didn't think he could deliver on his promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. Unbelief will cost you. The Bible says as new creations we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Let me ask you another simple question. What is that step of faith you need to take? What do you need to believe God for or keep believing God for? Even though naturally it seems impossible, what do you need to keep believing God for that is way beyond you or what you deem possible in the natural? Because if you keep doubting, all you'll do is keep wondering and hearing what could be in your life. Hebrews 11 makes it clear without faith it's impossible to please God. That faith is a currency of God's kingdom. And the final one is this. But for some of you, the reason you find yourself still wandering is because of attitudes. You say, well, what, what attitudes? That attitude. <laughs> the attitudes that we carry that today you may be missing out on God's best for your life because of offense because of unforgiveness, because of anger that you are still carrying in your life. Because, you see, all those things cloud us from receiving God's best. Matthew 24, 10, final verse, it says this. And then many will be offended. Many will betray one another. And many will hate one another. When we allow ourselves to be offended, I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in so many people that I've pastored, when we allow ourselves to be offended and we don't deal with that seed of offense, it can lead to betrayal. It can lead to hate. It can lead to stuff that will cost you time on the journey to the promise that God has set for you. See, offense can occur anywhere. Offense can occur in marriage. Offense can occur in friendships. Offenses can occur in business, in in the workplace. Offenses can occur in the church, an awful lot. Offenses can happen in so many different places. But listen, if you are offended today 
and you don't deal with that, let me tell you, that seed will turn into harvest. But it could cost you not days, but years. I'm not being dramatic. I've walked with people who have allowed offense to get such a grip in their life that they have walked for years carrying something that should have been dealt with in days. If we remain offended, if we refuse to forgive, what should have only taken a season may well cost us a lifetime because of our refusal to forgive. So here's what I'm ending with. What are you going to do? Because the the choice is left with us. God has done everything that he's done and everything that he's going to do. The Bible says that he has blessed us, as we said, with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. If there's nothing left for him to do for us or to give to us, we rejoice in the knowledge of the second coming and all of that that's going to unveil and come. But in this moment, God has done it all. And what's left for us is a choice. Will we keep wandering or will we step into what God has for us now? The reality is that 99.9999 recurring percent of the people who were rescued out of slavery didn't inherit what God had promised. And again, we're not talking two families, we're talking millions, I reckon, of people, the the Israelite nation walking through. And only two people and and their family inherited what God had promised to them. I want to encourage you, we've only got one life, you know that. And I want to encourage you, stop settling for your, just your salvation. Now, hear me. Salvation is amazing. What, we've, what I spoke about a moment ago, that, that moment of salvation, that joy of salvation, that we're rescued not just in this life, but in the life to come, everything that God has done for you. But listen, God has more for you today. But you've been rescued out of so much. You've been sta- saved from sin, but God has so much available to you don't live your whole life wondering the saddest thing is when you talk to Christians who are in their 80s in their 90s and they've wandered around for 70 years saved at a young age and they've just wandered around and they know a little bit more of the Bible but they've never truly inherited they're still living with so many character flaws they're still living with so many things that that has got a hold of their life rather than living in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us don't let that be us let us step into each new day saying God what have you got for me today God I thank you for everything that you're going to do in my life today you have blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus don't spend your whole life wandering because you procrastinated because of sin that just had latched onto your life, because you kept looking to the past because of unbelief, because you let offense get a hold of you and you refused to forgive because a whole generation never made it. But Joshua and Caleb, imagine for them that moment. I mean, they were probably irritated with the, the others who messed it up for them and meant they had to wait so long. But imagine that moment where that land that they had spied out, they walked around, they said, this is ours. Now we know that they had to win battles and all that. But that moment where they set foot, and God said, everywhere you place your foot, it is yours. That's the promise of God for your life today. So just close your eyes in these final moments of our service this morning. God has a land of promise. God has so much in the word that he's laid out that is available for you today. But it's up to us whether we're actually going to live in such a way that we take hold. As Paul says, letting go of the past and take hold of all that God has for us.
So, Holy Spirit, I just pray that in these closing moments of our time together this morning, before we go and have tea and coffee, Father, I just pray that through the person of the Holy Spirit, you would just begin to speak to individuals in this moment. But even though we, it's probably been raised already as we've journeyed through these thoughts together today, Lord, just underline what is it that is keeping them from stepping into that promise. And Lord, as you do that in your gentleness and in, in a way that the Holy Spirit comforts and helps, Lord, would you give them what that next step may look like? But Lord, we're not trying to change everything overnight. Lord, just highlight one thing that needs to change and show us the step that needs to be taken that we would not only be set free, but that we would take hold of everything that you have for us. Jesus, we just want to finish by giving you glory and honor and praise and thank you that in you we have all that we need. In you we have more than enough. And God, you are the God of Ephesians 3.20. You are the God who can do exceedingly abundantly far above all that we dare to dream or imagine. And so in a time where there's so much fear, where there's so much doom and gloom, in a time where newspapers love to thrive on fear, Lord, we declare there is a better day for every single follower of Jesus Christ, that you are a God who heals, that you are a God who restores, that you are a God who provides, that you are a God who sustains. Lord, thank you that we will not only be set free, but we will be living in the land of your promise. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to make the changes we need to make. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Come on, just give Jesus applause in this place. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen, as always, if after a message you say I just need some support I need some help and whatever come and speak to us there are so many people who will walk alongside you and support you